This is Restless. Welcome back to Restless. This is your friendly post-mortem on the young Restless Anthem. I am your host, Matt. I am joined by Pastor Michael. Pastor Michael, the thaw has begun. It has begun. It's actually been really pleasant here in Wisconsin lately. We've had some really uh, solid weather, a lot of sun. It's just been nice. It feels good. And so uh, it seems like it's going to bring the best out in all of us, hopefully. That's right. So the end of winsome winter may soon uh, come to an end, but we still have a lot to look ahead to. And so as we think about um, what what is coming down the pike this year, we thought it would be helpful to even think about as the Young Restless Reformed um, exists still as a dominant force in evangelicalism. Um, and we many of the leaders are still around. But as we've all all know that the divisions between them are growing. And so we are once again joined by our friend who probably would not want to be called an expert on this uh, because he is an actual sociologist who understands how expertise in these fields actually works. But we are joined by Brad Vermerlin, once again, the author of The Reformed Resurgence, who we've interviewed a few times. Welcome back, Brad. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Brad, we have a few more listeners than when we first interviewed you. So would you just quick um, let um, let uh, let the folks know um, just about the book you wrote and and why we have gotten to the chance to talk to you a few times? Certainly. Yeah. As you said, I'm a sociologist by profession. Um, I earned my Ph.D. at Notre Dame in sociology and my dissertation, um, the, the book length project that I wrote, turned my Ph.D., was on the new Calvinist movement. The young restless reforms. Um, the first, as far as I understand, the first academic kind of non-confessional treatment on the movement. So um, that eventually ended up getting revamped a little bit and actually published as a book with Oxford University Press called "Reform Resurgence." And the t- uh, the subtitle is "The New Calvinist Movement and the Battle Over American Evangelicalism." So that came out in 2020. So after that came out, I've been able to talk with you guys a few times about about the movement. Yeah, Brad has also talked to some uh, some other people. He's gotten he's talking to Aaron Wren. You can find various interviews with him and discussions of his book. Everywhere. And should we say, you know, you uh, you know, kind of have uh, some theory about you know um, the different uh, reasons for um, the YRR or how it came about. Um, and Tim Keller himself even said in an interview, uh, this is maybe my paraphrase, but he basically said, "Yeah, Brad's right." Brad was right. Like this is uh, what we were doing in founding the gospel coalition and other things like that. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, he did say that. Um, The theory of the book essentially is that the movement has less to do about a numerical increase in Calvinists in America than it does with all sorts of other kind of more harder to grasp cultural dynamics, social dynamics. Um, So that's why it's the the book's about a battle over American evangelicalism. And the idea is that this new Calvinist movement placed itself on this, on the landscape in in order to kind of reclaim uh, evangelical orthodoxy in a broader field that um, was going in all different directions. Right. And, and obviously what's unique about Brad, your, your research into it um, and, and the perspective you bring to it you know, while people like Tim Keller say Brad was right or, or these kinds of things, you're not coming at it primarily as a Christian theologian. You're not coming at it, um, 
you know, like, or as a, uh, yeah, as a, I don't know what the, I don't know what the right word to say as like a, as a, as a participant so much, maybe that's not the right way to put it. Right, right, right. It's a, I'm a associate, I'm a Christian, but it's, I'm also a sociologist and this book was written in, in my capacity as a sociologist, as a sociologist, as a social scientist. So I don't make any, it's not a religious book by any means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as, um, as we continue to think about, um, for those of all of our listeners who care about the, um, the evangelical field, um, uh, which is just, um, the sociologist way of saying like evangelicalism, uh, we are, uh, we're thinking about the ways, um, that we want to think a little bit about today about the ways we see um this these groups of people continuing to divide out right because the the happy time michael and i remember when all of the calvinists were all together all on one big happy team is one big coalition one big you know, coalition all together together, together for, for the, the gospel God. yeah we, <laughs> these these things um we were we were going to have the kind of unity you would expect the church to have in Acts 29, the 29th chapter, when there was one, you know, unified church. Those those days um, have long or long passed. But it's not that the leaders and a lot of these institutions are gone. It is just that it seems that once again, different lines are being drawn up against them uh, amongst them. And Brad, um, a few months ago, he tweeted a thread about the kind of new formations of I don't know what they're you and we'll let Brad tell us alliances or kind of groupings people are starting to drop themselves into. Um, and we just thought because Brad has, as obviously before, he had spent years of his life studying the formation of new Calvinism. Uh, it might be helpful to just hear the kinds this kind of thing that he sees forming um, in front of us. And now, again, whether or not that will ha- hold long term, um, I thought it was interesting and I think everyone else will, too. So. Right. Yeah. So the young restless reformed um, was always kind of a label that not, not many people wanted to embrace as, as like, you know, their own group. It was, it was a kind of a journalistic label and um, same with new Calvinism. I mean, it was something that people would talk about, but nobody really wanted to, some people did They say, yeah, I'm a new Calvinist or whatever. I kind of, they would say, I run in Y. Uh, YRR circles, but the the label has, I think, become less important than it has than, than it was, you know, 2010, 2012, 2014. Um, so, so, as you guys well know, it, it's kind of it, it doesn't coalesce as well as it used to. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I I pointed toward this at the end of my book uh, a few years ago um, that. Um, it was, it, it, this was kind of the writing was on the wall that this was happening hmm. but the tweet thread that you mentioned wasn't it's not just about how the young restless reformed has broken into multiple groups it was actually about american evangelicalism as a whole hmm. has broken into multiple groups or expressions hmm. um only a couple of them i think would encompass what used to be the the young restless reformed because in your book, you mentioned the other expressions of evangelicalism that the new Cal, the new Calvinists were kind of competing with, even kind of back at the time, right? That's, that, that's right. That there were multiple even at that time. That's right. And some of those groups, I would still say, are you know, 
kind of identifiable as those same groups. Still. Okay. So, so in this seven point typology, I, I tweeted out um, some of those are still the same as, as what I talked about in my book. Others, others have adjusted a little bit. And obviously, and you can tell me if you're wrong. It seems like one of the ones that maybe has gone through the, maybe some of the most adjustment has been the new Calvinist, right? Is it, is that, is that what you, is that, will that prove out in your, in the seven groups or no? Yeah. Yes. Especially because new Calvinism isn't one of the seven, right? It's um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. In the book, it was one of the main identifiable tribes of American evangelicalism. And, and now it's, I would say it, there's probably, we need other labels or categories to make sense of what we see. Right. Well, if there is a young um, person studying sociology who wants to get a PhD, they could probably, in uh, sociology of religion, they could head head this direction with it. So, um, but Brad, why don't we just, um, why don't we start with um, some of the descriptions of these groups? Is the best term groups, tribes, what is, what kind of term do you think best labels these types i'd say types types or kinds of uh of american evangelicals yeah um but that's not to say that every kind of american evangelical who i think would fit in these kinds or types would even know the labels i i use Mm -hmm. or place themselves knowingly in these categories um so it's kind of a an outsider's perspective on um, kind of imposing labels on the on the landscape if that right. makes sense it's it's descriptive it's not pre- like it's not you know it's not uh not necessarily right it's not like right we identify as reformed presbyterians these aren't things people these i these terms and types aren't necessarily things people identify as, as right they, right they, some some might lean that way um but others others aren't um and i also want to say before i describe them that I, the, the language I use and, and the kind of the categories I'm using, I'm speaking in my capacity as a social scientist, as a social and cultural analyst, and not, you know, as somebody who's trying to be a church leader or like a leader in the evangelical church. So if I use labels or like, like I'll talk about progressive evangelicals, that's a, a phrase I'm using as a social scientist and not trying to make any kind of theological statement. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's not a, you know, you can on this show or we won't you can leave the value judgments to us on uh on the on the on them but yeah i i mean i again that'll be we'll get there when we get there but i do think that potentially is one that there are people who actually would just readily identify with progress you know progressive right and that, that's that's the first of the seven actually oh great call, let's start there let's I just start call, with yeah i just call them progressive evangelicals and these are i'm talking about leaders and kind of lay people who these are people who um in some some notable way are deviating from Christian thought, traditional thinking on either doctrines of the, uh, points of theology or ethics. Mm-hmm. So these might be people who are pro-choice or who are in favor of redefining the institution of marriage to include gay and lesbian couples, or it might, um, it might be people who think that um, various forms of sex outside of marriage are fine. Um, Doctrinally, it could be people who deny the, the fallen condition of humanity or atonement theory altogether and want to re-narrate the Christian story. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, can, we probably could think of examples of these, these types of Christians, but I would call those, but, but for some reason, they also want to stay within the evangelical orbit and, mm-hmm. and kind of interject themselves into evangelical conversations. So that's why they would kind of be within 
evangelicalism because they, 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 they really seem to be persistently a part of the ongoing conversation of evangelicalism. Mm. So that's actually really helpful. Um, yeah. Obviously, we're going to be very, very, very different than these people in general. But basically, right, they believe there needs to be some kind of adjustment or progress in the understanding of the Christian faith. But they want to remain in the evangelical field because they want to be part of that conversation. That's 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 what's most interesting about what you know about yeah. what you're saying. Because and influence it, right? Like I'm already thinking of you know different groups or people that yeah, like they clearly are deviating significantly um, from what you know maybe not long ago would have considered you know kind of the standard beliefs. Um, while still they're still there trying to kind of influence things in one particular direction. Absolutely. Yes. And that's why they're not just, you know, like mainline Protestantism or mm -hmm. something like an old, like an old PCUSA person or somebody who, you know, has kind of beliefs that deviate significantly from the historic doctrines or ethics of the, of the Christian religion, but they're, they're, they're very much trying to be part of the evangelical conversation. Yeah. Is in your tweet, did you give any example, uh, of either person or any group for this type and if you didn't that's fine yeah i think I, we, okay. I mean i don't know how much rob bell still tries to be a part of the evangelical conversation but he'd be somebody who's trying to um reinvent some things um david gushy he's a christian ethicist who has deviated on the issue of sexuality um i mean yeah. just think back to the emerging church days people like right. brian mclaren Tony Jones, Doug Paget are all trying to significantly re-narrate what it means, uh, re-narrate the Christian story entirely. So, yeah, yeah, you yeah. can think of this kind of as like the, the what's left over of the more progressive expressions of the emerging conversation. Yeah, the the group, the the Twitter account I think of is the New Evangelicals, um, which is very interesting. They they uh, whoever's running that, um, I don't know if it's one person or multiple, but right, they it's interesting. They reject a lot of you know, they want to revise a number of historic beliefs, but right there, they want to be, we are going to be the new evangelicals. So it's just very interesting. Um, this, uh, that, that, that it just, to me, it just kind of demonstrates what Brad is talking about. Yeah. And one wonders why they want to do that and not just go join their local UCC church or something. It, right. it does seem like there are plenty. This of is nice... a question we ask all the time, by the way, I was literally just in a conversation a couple of days ago talking about this, that, you know, there are folks that you just wonder, like, you know, for instance, even just denominationally, this is a little bit different, but it's, I think, analogous um, to, you know, thinking about evangelicalism in the whole. But there are times when it's like, hey, there are people, for instance, in the Presbyterian Church in America, where I pastor, um, who clearly have beliefs that are deviating from our standards that would be perfectly at home in many other denominations, right? Like uh, in agreement with other denominations on those particular issues. And the question is, why don't you just go there <laughs> instead of trying to change the whole rest of the denomination? And so you see that same kind of uh, play in evangelicalism as a whole. There is these who just say, no, I'm staying here and we're moving my way um, instead of just going to join what already exists. That's right. Yeah. And I don't, seems, think that, I don't think that's going away anytime soon. Yeah. It's going to be a continuing dynamic in evangelicalism. Well, we still have six other groups to get to. Let's go to your second type of of evangelicals right so this is a new one that's not talked about in the book actually and i call them i guess you could call them identity grievance evangelicals these are people who are probably i mean they will tend to be doctrinally a little more on 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 the right path they might be able to affirm the westminster confession or the 
Baptist faith and message, technically, for example. But at the same time, these are people who tend to view um, their religion through the lens of an identity rather than their various mm-hmm. identities through the lens of their religion. Whether mm-hmm. that be sexuality or gender or race, those are usually the, the big three. Um, so they, they, might, they might doctrinally still be on board with these kind of what, what we might think of as standard confessions, but they also are, they really bought, they're obviously this, these are the, what would be called the woke evangelicals. Um, sure. So um, people who have really, while they might affirm the doctrinal statements, they've um, significant, they've bought in entirely to identity politics, mm. um, especially from a position of um, perceived victimization or grievance and and now again now that we're in 2023 woke has kind of become a pejorative however i don't know how it wasn't too many years ago that eric mason eric hallelujah silver mason wrote woke church with a um with a preface by ligon duncan right this was a thing that like was being very this was being this this alignment was done very intentionally by Mm -hmm. many leaders in evangelicalism and i i know now that people don't like the label um but you know it is it is what it is yeah so i would say that's um kind number two of evangelicals uh, again both leaders and ordinary lay people Mm -hmm. that uh, we can kind of see if if you're paying attention to the field yeah great michael do you have any other thoughts or questions on number two or we should we should continue no it's helpful i you know i mean this is when we were talking about progressive evangelicals, I was trying to think through, you know, I know there are a lot of people I can think of in various, you know, more conservative, doctrinally conservative denominations um, who I like, I want to almost put in the progressive evangelical spot, but they would still say, no, I hold to these right. doctrinal truths, but this helps me because it gives me a category of no, I mean, this is what they're doing, right? Pushing in a different direction um, and saying it as, they look at the religion through the lens of their identity first rather than the other way around. I think that's a really helpful and lens think, to see it. Yeah, I think that, again, this is why I think having Brad's observations on these will just help people understand kind of where these things are, right? That like not everyone who has taken some of the assumptions of identity politics are progressives, right? Because it it just it just puts words to things that everyone experiences, both on a lay level and on a and there's go- there's going to be some overlap, of, of course. course. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Right. Yeah. And people not- that are moving from one to the other, right? So, I, like, I can think of those who, you know, it's like, well, they started off as, you know, doctrinally, they would say, no, I hold to all of these things, but we need to deal with this, you know, issues of, you know, identity in various ways. And then, you know, over the course of only a year or two, all of a sudden, they're embracing all kinds of things that m- would firmly put them in the camp of progressive evangelicals. That's very common. All but right, not everybody do. does that, right? There's there's That's categories. Right. So well, let's go to number three then. Right. I talk about this group in my book. Um, this is unchanged from um, a handful of years ago when I was writing about this. And that's the neo-Anabaptist evangelicals. Mm-hmm. So these are people who um, are kind of a more think of what's called the peace churches. These are Mennonites, Amish, that type of thing. But um much more blended with an evangelical approach to religion. Mm-hmm. So th- that's why it's kind of neo-Anabaptist. This is um, uh, 
these are people who are pa usually pacifists. Yep. They're egalitarian in terms of gender, um, anti-war, anti-military, sometimes anti-capitalist. Um, they're, they're not that big, um, but they're, they're definitely an identifiable expression or kind of evangelicals yeah. in the United States. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. These, and they obviously had, they, they have the, probably the least overlap with our audience, right? These have just always, you know, the, the, I don't know, they're off. I associate it with the kind of more conservative Wesleyan, right? Like just these groups of the whole, you know, like different forms of the holiness movement and the kind of hippie folks, like what's his name? Is it a uh, Shane, Shane Claiborne? Claiborne. Shane he'd, Claiborne. Be a, he'd be a great example of the kind of neo-anabaptist sensibility. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so he's would... still around. I've seen stuff from him not that long ago. I was like, wow, he's still around. He's still, <laughs> he's still talking about stuff, I guess. Yeah. So his kind of new monasticism, I would, I would group into this, this mm -hmm. group as well. Um, so it's, a, it's really a sensibility of, of really emphasizing this kind of Sermon on the Mount ethics, mm -hmm. take, taking it, kind of emphasizing that very heavily. Yeah. Um, so being pacifistic, um, that type mm -hmm. of thing. Um, it which, seems very often that there's like a, a kind of like chosen poverty, right? Or like a, mm -hmm. you know, a, at least a kind of a skewing of wealth in a certain regard. Right. Yeah, that could be part of it. Yeah. Great. Well, we, we don't, well, because they, they live monastically and they live in circles, we, we don't frequent as much. Let's go to number four. Well, I don't know if this one will be much better in terms of circles you don't frequent very much, but um, Pentecostal and Charismatic Evangelicals. Oh, well, there are so many of them, Brad. They're hard to, right. they're hard to not, they're hard not to have friends with. So tell us about this, uh, this group. Well, this, of course, is a, a little diverse, too, but I think that you can group them together in, in their mm -hmm. emphasis, very strong emphasis on the continuation of certain gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're expecting to be spoken to by God. They're expecting um, miraculous healings. Sometimes there's an emphasis on speaking in tongues, um, really kind of exuberant worship. And mm -hmm. I think I think many of us will be familiar with this, this kind of evangelical. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is, I mean, I recently I heard that charismatic Christians boast to be like a fourth of the evangelical uh, worldwide population. And so I think that uh, now I don't know what it is in America. Obviously, that would be different. But I mean, this is, you know, I think this is a perennial at this point. And again, it could change, of course, but this is since the 1900s this is the a perennial group and kind of person you will encounter uh as an yeah. evangelical and not always but sometimes this is also where you would get deviations into the uh prosperity theology right. as well mm -hmm. right it it has its its own different excesses than what the progressives would have but right this is where you know obviously at the worst case this is name it and claim it this is joel osteen you know that kind of that kind of stuff um and then, you know, this more, uh, and obviously there, I guess, and maybe that one of the reasons it's, is interesting is there was a, there was at least an attempt with new Calvinism to bring in at least some of the charismatic sensibilities, um, yeah, at mesh least them the, a little bit, the ones, at least the more, um, the ones that didn't, that didn't have the kinds of excesses of the really wild stuff. Uh, Sam storms We're we're thinking about you here. 
right? There's that crossover. Um, a little bit, yeah. Uh, there's a spectrum of approaches to that. In the book, I, I, I identify them basically as a cautiously continuationist. Um, mm -hmm. So not, not full-on charismatic, but there, there were some openness to visions and dreams and sometimes being feeling like God is calling you to do XYZ or yep. that type yeah. of thing. I'm, I'm so glad to hear that my, uh, I use when I, I think we've probably talked about this, but this is obviously a doctrinal thing. I use the terms of, I use the term of Pentecostals, charismatic continuation, because I do think like whether or not theologically how different they are, it's just they're what they actually do or what they say is possible maybe is some very, very similar, but what they actually do at their churches in their personal lives is very different, right. Yep. In these groups. Um, but um yeah nope um what number was that I, i've just that was count. was that, that was number four that was four yeah, so we're on five great five these are roughly ordered from the most kooky to the most hardline right just so you know <laughs> all right let's pastor michael is your goal to be number seven is that your, <laughs> we'll uh, see i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i guess we'll i don't find know yet out. so number five i call this is kind of a joke from survey research um called just christians so in in social science when you ask people, uh, what religion do you identify as? You, you'll, you'll give out the normal like Catholic, evangelical type thing. And then, then we always include a category, just Christian, because a lot of people, a lot of people select that. Yeah, and they're almost, they're almost always evangelicals. Um, but these are people who are kind of lowest common denominator Christians. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a, it's a, large expression of evangelicalism in the United States. I think like the National Association of Evangelicals and a lot of other groups would kind of fall into the just Christian mm. category. Um, a lot of times with this type of evangelical, you're not gonna, especially among the lay people, they're not going to be abreast of the, all the different categories or labels that are even an option for them. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you ask them about Calvinism, they, they may have never even heard of Calvinism or Arminianism or uh, all the other kind of dividing lines in in evangelical protestantism they might not even might not even know what a protestant is hmm. they might they might just be you know identify as a just a jesus follower or a yeah. just a christian and hmm. these people could be in all sorts of churches wow. um they could they could be in they could they could be in wesleyan churches they could be in calvinist churches but the the basic idea here is that it's a very kind of generic lowest hmm. common denominator christianity in the protestant vein but if you talk to them about what they believe they're clearly evangelicals so that's mm -hmm. why i include them as, interesting yeah so so this i would assume and since this is based on survey maybe you can actually give a little bit of an answer is this a is this a a large group of what is considered evangelicals like is this one of the larger groups you know, it's hard to say because there's some overlap between these seven. It's hard okay. to say what percentage of the landscape each one occupies. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would I would guess this one is not small. It's, it's definitely much larger than the neo Anabaptists. Sure. Um, so yeah, it's it's very common. Hmm. I think, especially among people who are not church leaders, uh, this is yeah. especially common among um, lay people. Yeah. And and this would then include probably people that are who have this kind of persuasion out of 
I mean, one would be again, sorry, 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 just Christians love you. love to have you on the show sometime, but, uh, um, the like out of ignorance that they just don't like that. They just don't know, but probably there are also those who would like, they believe this is maybe the right posture, right? We shouldn't, I shouldn't take any other late right label, I guess is right there. There's, it could be either way, right? There's some people who just, um, aren't informed about the various categories on the menu. And there's others who probably by conviction don't want to um, pick their soteriology or pick mm. a position on the Holy spirit or on, or on gender issues or, or whatever. And they're just happy to, you know, go to church and believe in the Trinity and the resurrection and, and um, yeah, just kind of the basics mm-hmm. of, of evangelical religion. I'm just thinking a lot of people, I mean, I grew up in the evangelical free church in America, and I'm just thinking of a lot of folks uh, that are at the church now, um, you know, especially in this region of the country because of influence of guys like John Piper um, and others, and just because of the nature of of new Calvinism and how it moved through evangelicalism there. I feel like that did change over time and has changed Mm -hmm. a little bit more, at least in the free church um, where, you know, uh, thinking about the churches that I grew up being a part of, but nonetheless, I just feel like a lot of the folks that, you know, I'm either grew up around or that I still know. Yeah. Just very content to hear the kind of central things, doctrine divides, don't need to talk about anything else. Let's just like keep the main thing, the main thing. And uh, you know, everything else can be dealt with somewhere else or, or maybe not at all. Yeah. So I think it's important to remember that these people are out there and they form a large chunk of the, of, of ordinary lay people in evangelicalism. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think that probably um, one of the things, again, in my experience is then they're actually either, you know, in, in, in overall, it's this, like, it's one of the reasons in evangelicalism, it's unsettling when labels or certain doctrine like certain like doctrinal distinctives are brought in and are made like important because there is a large base of people that just want us to be just christian right like there are plenty of people in our area you know in the midwest who who love who would say i love john piper he's a great preacher and then if you're like well what about you know they if you want to talk to them on his positions of calvinism or whatever else they're like oh i you know I don't know, you know, like that's not what they care about, right? They care yeah. about just, you know, he's an earnest, passionate, yep. you know, biblical teacher. And that's what they're that's what they're looking for, right? They if you said, would you change if he wasn't there, would you go to a PCA church or a free church? They'd go, okay. You know, like they would <laughs> yeah. not they wouldn't uh that wouldn't uh that wouldn't yeah, rattle them at all. Yeah, and I think that's very common and it's especially for uh, people who are really into theology and all the distinctions, it's important to remember that a lot of, maybe especially for pastors, it's important to remember that a lot of people are like that. Yeah. Great. Um, nope. I mean, I don't, I don't want to say that's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I think it is. I, again, it's just, it's, it's just, again, the reason I like it is it just explains what I see, right. Uh, you yep. know, it just explains. Well, and also, can I just say, um, I will make some kind of judgment as a pastor and as All right, uh, somebody that it. can. This is our a, job. As a That's non-sociologist, let me put yeah. a value judgment. It's okay to be a, just a Christian. I, like, I'm not saying that this is always good, right? So we talked about how there, like, maybe there is some of it that's just out of uh, an ignorance. And maybe sometimes that's almost like a willed ignorance, right? Like you probably should be uh, more mature in the faith than you are at this point. 
but not I this is actually one thing that I think uh we've talked about one of the problems of new Calvinism is there was this sense of like, yeah, everybody needs to read all of these books and know mm-hmm. theology really, really well. And I want everybody to know theology, right? I want everybody to know, for instance, the Westminster Confession. I want you to be able to understand uh, the truth that it exposits. Um, but even that, like it can be, that can be done in a way that's pretty basic. It doesn't, you don't, like not everybody has to be a theologian. Not everybody has to be the guy who's reading books all the time. Like you can just be a regular guy who just likes going to church, likes hearing about Jesus, how you've been forgiven of your sins and you go home and love your family. And that's it. Like you don't have to get involved in all of the rest of it. Um, that's okay. Yeah, it is. And, and then, but you know, those who, uh, we do need those with the gift of discernment because the just Christians are going to yes. be ruled by one of these seven, <laughs> and they should, seven right. and, groups. And hopefully you have a good pastor who, <laughs> who is not just a Christian. Ah, okay, there we go. But yeah, yeah, it is good, right? So, all right. And, and I think you do see some megachurch pastors who who kind of preach the just that Christian. Yes, yeah, I was do. thinking of mega, a lot of megachurches when you were saying that, actually. This this is the megachurch brand. Because to be the mega church, you have to. How else do you hold broad together appeal, two thousand right, broad people? appeal? Yeah, yeah. So, so there is again the the faithful Michael. We have to the two ends even of this group, right? The faithful grandma Michael just said, who spends lots of time in prayer, isn't interested in you know these kinds of things, and she's very different than the mega church pastor who right. says just like you know, all we need is Jesus and we don't need any of those other things in here. So, uh, there's, that's, that's, that's some wild diversity. So, all right, get us further to the right, Brad, with number six. Right. So number six does dive into precisely those issues that we're saying the previous category ignored or was unaware Mm. of. So these are the ones I call scholastic Protestant conservatives. Uh. Um, that's kind of a weird label. I know it's a big, (laughs) It's a lot of big words, Brad. Well, it's, people, it's, it's, it's people, a lot of, a lot, this is where we get into, I think, kind of where a lot of people from the new Calvinism still are. Hmm. So these are people who are into all the books and the theology and are, cons- but, and, but, but here are conservative. So I would include, so let's just, I'll just name some, like Kevin DeYoung is a great example. Hmm of a protestant conservative uh, instead of scholastic just think bookish okay (laughs) these are people who know the scholarship Mm -hmm. they're aware they're informed they have opinions and it's also people who um so some most most seminary professors at least in the presbyterian and baptist vein would probably fit into this category um I would also, to the extent that conservative Lutherans can be evangelicals, I would probably say that they might fit in here too. But they're at least dialogue partners with these people. Yes. I don't know how they would like being called evangelicals. (laughs) It was their word originally, right? It is true, (laughs) right? Hear that? My Lutheran friends who I know are listening. You hear that? You're you're lumped in with us too. You may not like it, but you're a part of us too. So, so these are, these are the, to, to put it simply, these are the seminary, seminary professor types and the lay people who are informed by them and interested in them. So mm. if you, if you would read, if you're a kind of an ordinary evangelical and you would read a Kevin DeYoung book, I would put you in this category. Mm. Does that make sense? 
Yeah. yeah. You don't have to be a Kevin DeYoung. You just have to be interested enough in the nuances of theology and ethics and so on to have an interest in hmm. understanding the history, the scholarship, the, yeah. the theology and so on. So these are people who are theologically conservative, socially and ethically conservative um, Christians, but also are um, bookish in a sense, mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah. So, so I guess I'll just say this. Hello, my conservative Protestant scholastics. That, Pastor Michael, I believe would be our 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 general people since we have a semi-reoccurring segment called ride or die with kdy where we <laughs> where we defend something kevin DeYoung has said that is upset it's true. this probably hits the majority of, of our audience probably not yeah. all of them but a majority no. for sure no um, right um so i i would put other i mean most i mean i I don't know all the faculty at westminster theological seminary in philadelphia but i i assume i would go to their website and they would all kind of i would put them in this category right yeah um, and any any lay person who would be influenced, who, yeah. if you would if you would go buy a JV Fesco book on Amazon, you're definitely in this category. Okay. Right. So, and, and yeah. this is the, and this is um, as New Calvinism is divided. This is, for example, why things about TGC are so controversial because they're posting articles now. Obviously, Kevin DeYoung is not one of their writers. Uh, officially anymore but right they're posting these kinds of articles at the same times posting things that i you know at least this, certainly some of them have been directly would be in the vein of woke christians right they're 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 branching into these other things as well and this is why people now all have a at least our audience would have a love-hate relationship with the the material being posted on the gospel coalition yeah and i think that some of it also veers into the just Christian category a lot. Sure. Yep. Now too. It does. Um, this is also in this sixth category is where I, I should say. Um, so third wayism would still be very much, and winsomeness would be very much valued in this category. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, um, kind of a the way you know you you know what that means. Yeah. You know? So we do. <laughs> we do. We do, and because right, it's it's what the goal with those strategies are is how do we present this conservative Protestantism? How do we present? How do I right? How do I either win over just Christians? How do I present myself to the other evangelicals? Right, that's the what those kinds of strategies, communication yeah. strategies, are answering. Right, right, right. It's a posture toward others, and perhaps especially non Christians, that wants to yeah. emphasize winsomeness kind of a non-political third way kind of thing mm -hmm. so i would i would put you know john piper gavin ortland kevin de young to yeah. an extent and michael michael horton most most seminary professors and and and, and bookish type pastors yeah. a lot of them would be here form theological seminaries uh motto winsomely reformed fall probably falls into this as they assigned me 45 hours of lectures on christian ethics and but you know they still want that i don't think 45 hours of lectures is winsome by the way my rts profs i love you all but that, <laughs> you can't you're not you i'm gonna lose some time getting through those um uh yeah i think that this is uh yeah michael do you have any um any thoughts questions on 
uh, on our group are uh, probably our people here. I'm really interested to know what the next one is. (laughs) Are you jumping further? You want to? All right. I want to know number seven. Right. So um, this seventh group. So 10 years ago, six was pretty much as far right as you could go in evangelicalism before you became kind of a fundamentalist, I guess, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. But it really seems like in the last five years or so there's been this new space opening between like a Kevin to young Tim Keller type PCA. Those are both PCA guys mm-hmm. and fundamentalists um, in kind of a, uh, with, with whatever negative views you'd want to impute to fundamentalists, but there seems to be this other space opening up further to the right that I call post-liberal. Mm-hmm. Um, some, some might, want to use talk about nationalism here as well so either Mm. either post-liberal or nationalist christians um by post-liberal i don't so in america when we say liberal a lot of times we think of democrats or people on the left but here i'm using the word liberal in the european sense which is basically the um the it would include both the republicans and the democrats in america and it's kind of the broad liberal order where it's a public square informed by tolerance and live and let live. And um, everybody is free to choose what defines a good life for them um, and, to, and to pursue that. Um, so a, a post-liberal evangelical would be somebody who, much more so than the previous category, is seeking to make a kind of bring Christian values into the public and maybe especially the political sphere. So um, I think of a kind of a newish website that launched American Reformer, for example, and how, how that would differ from the Gospel Coalition hmm. in, in terms of its political kind of tenor and its willingness to say, basically, no, we're not just going to live and let live. Um, hmm. We're going to try to enact policy that we think is for the good of our neighbors loving our neighbors through politics kind of yeah i wonder so um you know so that's on the political end then you know i'm thinking at least like with american reformer for instance you also see that on like other cultural fronts right so not just like hey we're going to try to change policy here but for instance um, there's been a lot of stuff that they've done recently um, with is it Grove City College? Is that they kind of had a campaign um, that was aimed at what they seem to see as a kind of theological or just you know uh, drift of some kind, cultural drift at Grove City College, and so they helped at least in some right you know kind of uh, push into that a little bit, right? And are still going, I assume. I don't know. I I haven't super kept up with it. Um, I think I. I think it was probably on the Aaron Ren, on Aaron Wren's podcast that I listened to a bit about it um, and had seen stuff on the interwebs, but didn't get too involved myself. Uh, but so there you see also like a, you know, another kind of cultural end of, okay, higher education, even a Christian institution, but we see some kind of cultural drift that we want to push back against actively. Yeah. So, I mean, we're at the seventh, this is the kind of a, the, what I call hard line, the farthest to the right, essentially. And so it's not just politics, you're right, it would be other cultural things too. So 
the Christians in this category would probably, even if they wouldn't use this phrase, they would be anti-woke. Mm-hmm. Um, they would, if they saw identity grievance, evangelicals having an influence at institutions of Christian higher education, they would want to point that out and, mm-hmm. and, com- and combat it. Um, and this, this group is kind of a group that is, they are glad to move beyond what's recently been called third wayism, and they're glad to assert themselves um, in public, sometimes in politics, sometimes culturally, etc. But there's a, a much more willingness to uh, assert a Christian view. Hmm. Um, um, none of these people would be, you know, happy to vote for Democrats or something. These are right. Uh, but maybe they're also not in love with the Republican Party because they're, like I said, the, the liberal order would include yeah. both Democrats and Republicans. And some of yeah. these people are, are um, um, uh, what's the word? Transgressive, I guess, politically, mm-hmm. that they would, um, they would be on the right. Uh, but they, at the end of the day, they probably would still vote for Republicans, but it would be, um, they're, they're much more uh, eager and willing to um, say live and let live is not going to fly anymore yeah in america so right so is is so this it sounds almost like what's interesting is the if there is if we can say there's activism by the the protestant the conservative protestant um scholastics they're going to be like theologically active right you know they they write books they say things like right albert Mueller, theology matters right whereas this group is seems at least to be more willing to openly assert their political and cultural, you know, um, what they, what they believe is right politically and culturally, right. They're willing to take, they're willing to extend into these things, which right in some ways, I mean, it's not the first time evangelicals have done, have done that, but right. Obviously there was at least at one point a desire, as you said, to break with fundamentalists who, who, you know, who were very much um, poised that way. Right. Yeah, that's right. And and here I'm not even I want to be, be clear. I'm not talking about fundamentalist Christians right. here. Um, this right. is some this is something different than just like your run of the mill mm-hmm. independent fundamentalist Baptist. Yep. Um they're really it's really a, a kind of re, reawakened public or political theology among mm. conservative evangelicals. Um and some some of the some of them might call themselves Christian nationalists, but I don't find that category very helpful. I prefer right. to talk about frame it as like a post-liberal sensibility. Right. Yeah. And obviously uh, who we've interviewed, um, our friend uh, Stephen Wolf, right? He would fall into this group and describes himself as a Christian nationalist, but he's not, you're not, but it's not limited to people who would agree with his right. proposal for you know, uh, Christianity in America, right? His his design no, of it, right? I'm not only talking about Stephen Wolf here, um, but, right? Your um, example was the American Reformer. I think right? American Reformer would be a great example, and the and the people who write there, Aaron mm-hmm. Wren, I know, was involved with American Reformer, would probably. Um, I, he's not so impressed, I think, with the new what's called the new right, which I think is the post liberal yep. right. Mm-hmm. So it's there's a little bit of a blurriness there. Um, you may know the name Time and Klein. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think William Wolf, well known on Twitter, would probably be somewhere around here. Mm. Yeah, yeah. 
Michael, can they pull you? Can they pull you all the way to seven? Can they pull you off your? I was gonna. I was gonna ask what you think. I am. Oh, what do you think? Where do you think I would fit in those categories? So I will admit, it's six or seven. Look, <laughs> I, mean, I, 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 I would say, um, uh, I don't know how to put this in in a way that doesn't make it sound like you're hiding something. I, but I don't <laughs> want it to feel that way. I think you're like probably because of your vocation as a pastor like you your vocation is to teach theology and do those things which probably means very much um in like who you are with people you're a six yeah but i think like my experience with you would be that you you would be post-liberal in many ways. And again, yeah, right. Uh, right. Yeah. And- I mean, if you see my life, right. Like just my personal family life, how I structure my life, like the kinds of, of, you know, the kind of world that I am even like actively trying to build and right. change things for, I think you would probably firmly put me in a post-liberal camp, but I think you're right. I mean, as far as like public ministry, even just because I see there as a distinction between, Hey, what is my role as a pastor? Right. And then what is my role as, you know, maybe more just a, a citizen, uh, yeah. uh, you know, right. uh, uh, a head of household, those sorts of things. I'm going to see those as a little bit different. So I may not be as like active, like say, like if from the pulpit, I'm not going to be, right. you know, uh, necessarily active in the same way that some might want me to be. Sure. Uh, but yeah, that's how I feel too. I think but, that's a pretty apt description. But- because most most pastors aren't uh, aren't trying to bless their congregants like me with homemade soap from their homestead and uh, <laughs> fresh lard from their own uh, from their own uh, animals, which is which is an awesome benefit of knowing you. But right, it's 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 a it's just that like my it is just the like you've just in in your lifestyle um, you've embraced a, a lot of the like those kinds of post liberal things. Though obviously, I think in your uh, your specific vocation as a pastor, right? Whatever, whatever things may be appropriate as a cultural agenda is, is of course different than you need you being called to dispense the gospel and the word, the sacraments, right? Faithfully to people, right? Which is why I think um, at least publicly, that's much more going to be, and you like to read, right? And you are, uh, yep. and you are bookish. Look at your, that's what everyone, I everyone know. says, it looks like a librarian and a homeless man podcast together now that they have <laughs> that we've uh, in the past used some video. So um, there you go. Yeah. So um, those are the seven types or kinds of evangelicals I see in the United States. Now um, what, what we used to, I guess, call the young restless reformed um, would probably be mostly type six, the bookish, conservative protestants still um some have moved in the post-liberal direction i think um some might have moved in the other direction and want uh taken a more just christian approach um yeah yeah my un my unprofessional observation would be um the there are you know people like kevin DeYoung who for, you know, while they don't have as much influence, they've stayed in this, you know, this conservative Protestant. There's certainly some people who um frustrated with how things turned out are post-liberal. And I think then those I, I would say that there is a large group that would make up the um 
the like cultural grievance evangelicals, right? This is the group of those people who doctrinally are perhaps where Kevin DeYoung is, but they've, they're persuaded of, you know, certain parts of identity politics and that has caused a rift, you know, amongst them. Could be. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't, you'd have to tell me who, which leaders those are. Maybe you don't yeah. want to, but um, yeah. No, I think if you wrote the book woke church, you might be one of those leaders, I guess is the perhaps. Oh yeah. yeah, I yeah. Mean, there's yeah. 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 So, yeah. right. So guys who clearly like Eric Mason, who like was clearly connected to in some ways, like a part oh, of that new Calvinist movement. And then right. is now clearly, you know, they're, there seems to be a lot of that identity grievance, identity and, politics. And obviously, like the heartache people experience over Tim Keller is debating on if he is if he fits that category or if he's a bookish evangelical. Right. Because when people see him write about culture or politics, they always go. They feel like it feels social justice. Right. That's the that's why people like that's why there's so much heartache, I think, um, because when you don't fit squarely into one of these groups, then people in multiple groups, right. Then they, then it, the, cause everyone wants you to fit somewhere. It seems to me, right. Like nobody cares that Shane Claiborne still doing his thing, right. That nobody's upset about that. But right. If you're pro, if you're moving post-liberal, you're going too far, right. If you're leaving, you know, this, you're, you know, that's, that's where I think the heartache comes for people. I see. when they talk about these things yeah i see and there I, I i probably shouldn't name names but i can now that i think about it there's there's people who were squarely in the kind of gospel coalition new calvinist um circles 10 years ago who who now um view their religion through the lens of their race rather than the race through the their race right. through the lens of their religion right you know the um uh, I, well, it used to be the, and I listened to it for a number of years while I was, a, uh, um, while I was more in the YRR group, right? This would be like Jamar Tisby's group. They were the reformed African-American mm-hmm. network ran, and then they became the witness. And now Jamar Tisby works with Ibram X. Kendi, right? Like, it, you know, it's just a very clear, like, uh, that's a, it now has a very clear political, like that has a, I don't know, that's just a political thing now. Uh, oh. and again, I and found obvious. it funny that I found it funny when he got hired by Kendi that his his title was director of narrative. I know what a great <laughs> dude! What a great title! I love I love titles. Brad, you need to clearly get a better. Uh, you need to get yourself a better title as a as a sociologist. <laughs> you need to get a very uh, a wild title that would I think would do well on whatever your next book will be. It would be a great what a great thing to have i don't know what it would be but yeah, i don't know what yeah you so, probably have to work for a think tank because that's where you really get the made-up titles of things <laughs> but king king, king of american christianity king. that's king. right that's great <laughs> well i think there's a lot to think about here brad has given us uh already an hour of his time and so this has been very useful so brad thanks for coming back again I'm sure you'll say things on the internet that will make us want to ask you about them again. So no promises. We will never ask you to talk to us again. Oh, I would be glad to. That's great. Well, Michael, um, so you can spend your afternoon and evening enjoying your six or seven lifestyle, whatever that might be. Um, (laughs) And uh, 
and we will uh, catch you next time. On I hope I didn't create. I hope I didn't create a new engram or something. <laughs> oh, you you probably did. There's oh, probably we need to build this website right now. We, <laughs> we oh, this is a that would be cash, cash money if somebody just... go make this test. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it would probably take like five questions. Like, do you like this person? <laughs> Do you have a vow of poverty? The end. Don't need any more questions. <laughs> like, do you, do you believe in hell? Do you believe homosexuality is a sin? Right? Like, we we get this pretty like you get there pretty quick. It's how with many some questions down do we need to go before <laughs> yeah. we just squarely put you somewhere? Like, do you think denominations? It's are probably the worst just thing? seven questions, and you <laughs> yeah, start with probably... you know, is homosexuality sin? Okay, and then you just slowly move down. Yeah. Do you think denominations are bad? Boom, we got you. Like, it's just we could, <laughs> that's great. So. All right. Well, thanks, guys. This has been great. We will catch you next time. Thank you, Brad, for coming back on the show. It was a wonderful interview. We hope you will rate and review this podcast for us if you enjoyed it. And send us a message. Which of these groups are you? 